How about the professionals earlier in their board journey? Someone looking to get on their very first board. Specific advice for them? I would say the practical thing to do is, okay, you want to get on a board, get to know other board directors who are sitting board directors. You know, start with the board of the company you're working for today. Know this, wherever you are on your personal and professional leadership journey, you can take your game to the next level. Welcome to Training Camp for Leaders with Archie L. Jones Jr., the podcast that will help you dream bigger and pursue your goals more confidently. Believe it or not, we're already at episode three of our governance series. So far, you've learned how to prepare for board service and how to thrive on a board. Today, you're going to learn how to make yourself an attractive board member candidate. And to show you how it's done, we've got a great guest, Charles, better known as Chuck Gray. Chuck is a partner at Egon Zender. His job is to match future CEOs and board members with the right companies. So he knows all about what kind of experience, leadership style, expertise, and values companies are looking for. In our conversation, he shares some valuable tips that can help you get that interview and maybe even get on your dream board. Chuck also talks about his own experience as the first black partner in his firm and dealing with imposter syndrome, something I think we can all relate to. As always, Stick around until the end to hear my three coaching tips. Let's go. Tell us about Egon Zender and, and your role there. So Egon Zender is a, a global human capital talent recruiting firm. So, you know, in the world of large recruiting firms, um, they call us the Shrek firms because there are five big ones. And each of our letters corresponds to Shrek. So we're the E in the Shrek. Wow. And without mentioning the name of my competitors, you can kind of figure out the S and H and R. <laughs> Let them figure out the other letters. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so, uh, look, we're a global firm. Uh, I'm a partner. I'm based in New York, and I co-lead our CEO on board practice. I assume, you know, you didn't grow up in Memphis dreaming of being a uh, recruitment and leadership talent professional. I, give me, Give me a little bit of the road to get there. This is, ironically, given I spent all my time thinking about people and their careers, right? This is the definition of an accidental career. <laughs> so to your point, you know, my kids, I have younger kids, right? They don't wake up and say, oh, I want to be a doctor or a fireman or a headhunter, right? No one ever, no one ever <laughs> says that. And, you know, for me, the journey started, uh, gosh, man, 16 years ago. A recruiter, ironically, one of our competitors uh, placed me at J.P. Morgan, and during that process, he said, you should think about doing this. And I was like, doing what? <laughs> he was like, you know, doing what I do. And uh, I was like, sure, pal. Yeah, we'll look at that. And I went to J.P. Morgan, you know, stayed there five years, but he planted a seed. Also, my mom worked in human capital. She was an HR professional mm. for 35 plus years. So I think the combination of the CD planted, there's probably some either genetic, some nature nurture thing with my mom. 
And I said, you know, people issues have always interested me. So when I would, you know, back in the day when you actually look at the newspaper, the things that always draw my attention were either a big M&A deal or a big like CEO announcement. Mm. Those are the things that naturally drew my attention. And then I used to read a lot of business biographies. So I go back to Reginald Lewis's biography back in the day. Yes, sir. Jamie Dimon, Jack Welch, Steve Jobs. Like, like I just enjoy I don't, I don't read as many now because I kind of do it for a living. But like I enjoy those business biographies because the story of somebody's career, how they make decisions or along their career, how much of it is their hard work versus good fortune versus hard work, versus, like all of that. I find it super fascinating. Chuck may call his career in talent recruitment accidental, but take note on how he consulted others to help guide his journey. There's a lesson right there. Don't be afraid to take risks as long as they're informed ones. Now, you did show a ton of confidence in your journey making the leap. From finance to recruitment, how'd you think about that and gather up the confidence or, or whatever else you needed in order to make that move? I, I still think about it today and ask myself, like, wow, what was I thinking at that place? That was a that was a risky move. <laughs> Looking back on it, but uh, I mean, look, I would say you know, this this gentleman planted the seed. It marinated for a while. And one of the things I did, actually, I got to a place, and it's interesting, I find myself on the other side of this talking to people and what I do now, but I find most people somewhere between 35 and 45 ask themselves a version of this question, which is, is this the job I want to do for the rest of my career? Or Mm. what do I want to do for the rest of my career? Or like some version of that. It's a a bit of the mid-career crisis that people go through. And I was at that point, that inflection point yeah. at JP Morgan in my late thirties. And, and so as I thought about, okay, if I don't see myself working at this bank forever, what is, I actually really like broke it down and said, what do I really enjoy? What am I passionate about? And I actually did a little bit of the exercise of like, okay, what really moves me? And I said, well, look, I really like people issues. Um, you know, I find these topics interesting. I was always involved in recruiting. In every job I've had, people didn't have to tell me, but I actually volunteered for a lot of that. And this, and I recalled the conversation with this gentleman a few years before. Um, and this is a true story. I reached out to him December 2011. We set up lunch for February 2012. And in January 2012, before I got to that lunch, Agon Zender reached out to me about a search that they were doing. Now, it wasn't to join them. It was just for one of their clients. And during that conversation, I started to ask the recruiter, like, tell me about your job. And what, cause I was just in that moment of curiosity. Mm. He was like, are we talking about this job? Egon Zen, like, what are we, like, what are we, you know? <laughs> and I just started to talk to people there and I fell in love with the firm and the culture. And I thought the work I could do, because a lot of our work is very similar to MA. It's, it's actually a very similar process to MA. Um, and, um, you know, that's kind of the rest is history. Chuck's been at Egon Zender for over a decade now. His interest in working with boards began soon after he joined. After, I guess, two or three years, I got fortunate to work with um, one of our clients called Nordstrom and placed, uh, still today, probably the, the best place candidate in my, in my time at the firm, a woman named Shelly Archambault. I don't know if you know Shelly Archambault, but she is uh, remarkable. So she's 
She was on the board of Nordstrom for many years. She's the chair of the NomGov Committee of Verizon. She's on the board of Okta. She has you know, sat on many boards throughout her career, wrote a book called Unapologetically Ambitious, mm. Black Female, Exceptional, right? So that was my, you know, two two years in first placement. And, you know, very few people have been able to match that since. <laughs> uh, and I got hooked. I mean, that was in a point in time where a lot of Black women weren't getting on boards. Um, and so helping her get on a, get on the Nordstrom board and just starting to think about board diversity how do you increase representation? This has been a passion of mine um, since I joined the firm, and it really kind of accelerated at that point. It's great that you mentioned her name because I saw and I read the article, The Next Frontier of Board Diversity, um, ensuring diverse representation reaches board leadership roles where I'll tell you, I, I usually get accused of you know, pushing the envelope. And so I felt like I was already pushing the envelope saying, let's get underrepresented folks onto boards. You guys in that article took it even further to say, not only do we need to be on boards, we need to be in those leadership positions on boards. Tell me, tell me about, uh, and it was wonderful reading her, her thoughts and experiences as a part of that, but, but tell me how, uh, how that came to be that, that you raised the bar even of let's just not get in the room, but actually uh, take some leadership roles in there. It just happened through client work. I, I would be involved in a lot of these mandates where we place a woman and or a person of color on a board. And the candidate pool looked like us, okay? But the, the people who are the clients, which are usually CEO, the board chair, or slash lead director, the chair of the non-gov committee, a lot of those, most of those people did not look like us. Mm. So I said, okay, we've got the people who are kind of really making the decisions who don't look like us, but we're bringing on all these great talent on the boards. And... And then just talking to a lot of board directors, a lot of people were just so excited to get on a board. And by the way, that's a great thing. We should be excited about that. But really trying to open up people's eyes to say, okay, this is this is a first step. Don't think of it as a last step. Mm. And look, you may not decide to be a leader on the board. That's okay. Okay, it's okay. But don't but don't stop yourself unnecessarily. And I find that, and every board is different. I mean, you've served on a lot of boards. Every board is different. How they operate, the governance is very different depending on the, the culture and the personality of the board. But I found that when I work with board clients, the decisions were made by a handful of people, not the whole board. And a lot of those true decision makers did not look like us and still don't look like us, actually. Mm. So how do we change that, right? How do we just go from getting on the board which is having a voice to actually being on the board and actually being able to make decisions. All right, it's pen and paper time. Although by now you should know to have those ready at the start of the episode. Here, Chuck is going to outline the first steps you should take when trying to get on your first board. Listen closely. Well, the first question I always ask people is like, why do you want to do this? Mm. Why do you want to join a board? I can, Archie, I've lost track of how many times I've asked that question and people don't have a good, they don't have an, they don't have an answer. I don't even want to say a good answer. I don't even think they're the right <laughs> answer per se. It's just people haven't thought about it. It's almost a bit of, I find a lot of times highly accomplished people collect trophies. Mm. And, you know, the next trophy to collect in their career is to join a board. And I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not against anybody's ambition. I think ambition is fine, but it's 
But, you know, if you're working, if you have a day job as a C-level executive in a company, I mean, that's plenty of work to do. It is. <laughs> um, why do you want to add to it? I mean, I was just saying, why, why, do you, why do you want this? Why do you want to get, put more work on your plate? Don't you have enough to do? I mean, that's I, I'm a bit of contrarian that way. And it forces people to really think about why they want to do it. And I would say some clients will actually ask that question in interviews. Um, and then I would say, you know, once you get settled on that question and really get your mind around why you want to do it, and there's a thousand good reasons why you want to do it, right? It could be, look, I, I work in an enterprise business and I want to learn more about consumer, right? Because we're going to do more in the consumer space in our company. It could be, um, you know, look, I'm looking to retire, but I still want to, you know, really be involved in business, but not in a day-to-day role. Like, there's a thousand reasons, right? But just give it some thought. I would say once you've made the decision to think about is to really take a step back and be practical. I would say the practical thing to do is, okay, you want to go on a board, get to know other board directors who are sitting board directors. You know, start with the board of the company you're working for today. Mm. If the board of the company you're working for doesn't know you're interested in a board, imagine me doing a search for ABC company, okay? You work for XYZ company. ABC company board member knows somebody on the XYZ board. They're going to call that person. And, if they, and if that person on the board doesn't know who you are, <laughs> right. doesn't know that you're interested in the board. Yeah. Well, what do you think your chances are of getting on that board? And, and, and I would tell you, this side, these board directors talk and they call each other. And sometimes you don't even know they call about you. And so keep your house in order. Make sure your own board knows you're interested. Make sure your own board is supportive, especially your CEO. Lost track of how many people have not talked to their CEO about these things. Mm. Um, and then as you get to know board directors and you start to build that network of board directors, I have no doubt an opportunity will present itself. Because at some point as that network expands, it's going to hit somebody who needs a profile just like yours. It's just a matter of time. I love it. One of one of the other things you mentioned in uh, in your articles is that board members or, or prospective board members from underrepresented backgrounds are often afraid to speak up. And this, what you just talked about as well, is this this kind of asking for the order, right? I, I spend a lot of time, you know, coaching folks on the answers in your network very often, right? And you've got to build and cultivate that network. Any concern or any fear? Because I'm, I'm assuming my listeners are going to say, "Well, what's the downside of me?" raising my hand and, you know, telling my CEO that I'm thinking about board work or reaching out to uh, my current board of directors. Any, uh, any potential risk to that so we can, we can alleviate some of that fear of raising their hand? Well, look, it's, 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 it's fair to be prudent. I, I, I can respect people. And look, every company has a different culture. And so first thing is start with your CEO. Make sure he or she is supportive. All right. I would make the argument that if you're asking your CEO that question and they are not are unhappy that you're asking that question, I don't know. I have a question about that company and that CEO. I just now if now I would say if you're not performing, <laughs> <laughs> right? And the CEO is giving you the feedback because they're like, "Look, you're not doing your day job well enough." That's a different story. But if you are performing well. I think it's perfectly okay to ask your, to talk to your CEO about this. I mean, I think that's the first person you should spend time with. Because at the end of the day, if I do a search and I'm taking references, I'm going to take the reference to the CEO. And I'm either going to take it 
with you knowing, or one of our board directors who may know the CEO is going to call the CEO and I may not even know about it, right? So you want to start there. And then you need to understand how the dynamics work with that company's CEO and that board. Chuck's right. I can say from my own experience that you don't necessarily need board service experience to get on some major company boards. That said, having some exposure is a huge plus, and there are a few ways to get it. I think it's a best practice for CEOs to be open to their management team speaking with the board. I think it's best practice for the management team to be presenting to the board. I think it's good exposure for the management team. And I would say if you're in a situation where you're not presenting to the board and you're on the management team, you need to really understand why not. And a lot of clients will ask us two questions or look where we show perspective candidates. The first question is, does the person have board experience? Sometimes Sometimes I say, no, the person doesn't have board experience. And that actually is not an issue nowadays. Thankfully, Boards are getting a bit more open-minded about that. Beautiful. But then the second question will come is, do they have exposure to the board? Mm. Which means, are they presenting to the board? And if somebody is a C-level executive or a senior executive in a company and not getting any time presenting to their board, it's a bit of a flag to that client. So you want to make sure you're getting that exposure. I find when I've had candidates in processes, that's been something that's tripped people up. Because boards... They want to feel, they want, they, they, boards worry about the dynamics in the room and the culture. And they're nervous about people who don't know how to operate in the boardroom, which is a very different thing than operating in an executive suite. It is. And so their proxy for that is board experience, number one, or have they at least been on the other side of the table in the boardroom? Right. They've never been in the boardroom at all, one side of the table or the other. They're like, man, I've got a lot, of, lot to teach this person. And some aren't as willing to do that. Beyond exposure to the board, how else can you stand out as a board member candidate? Well, I hope you still got your pen in hand because Chuck has excellent advice to guide you. One of my favorite business quotes is by Stephen Covey. And LeBron James uses it all the time, which is, the main thing is the main thing to keep the main thing. And I, I do think that there is, is very important to be excellent. So that is a baseline assumption, right? Network, get to know people like me, get to know as many board directors as you can, right? That is really critical. But what's going to make you attractive is by being attractive. Oh, a couple of years ago, I got to know a guy named Kofi Bruce, who's the CFO of General Mills, Okay. Kofi had so many board opportunities. I mean, <laughs> I was I was taking a board to him, and I think I made the I think we made the top three, and I was excited to make his top three. That's that's where I was. I was just happy <laughs> to make his top three. He had like more than ten. Kofi's a star, right? And he's excelled and he's killed it. And so that's because once you become the CFO of General Mills. It just is a game changer for you, right? So I would say be excellent, right? Like, I think that's really critical. Yeah. And even sometimes when you aren't necessarily the best board interviewer or the most connected, sometimes if you're just, I mean, top of your profession, like, you know, people find you sometimes. Would rely on that, but you got to keep the main thing the main thing. Um, 
because I've found, last thing I'll just say, and this is a bit of soapbox thing for me, sometimes people make looking for a board almost another full-time job. And I'm and there's a part of me that's like, look, do the work, network and all, do those things. But your your day job is the main thing. you got to kill it and hit it out the park on that. We're going to reference on that. People are going to want to know what you've done. Practically speaking, boards are bringing you on because of what you've done. <laughs> right. right. So, right. So don't lose sight of that. Second thing is once you do, let's say you, let's say you do get a call from somebody like me or you get a direct connection to a board and you start interviewing, you know, you need to understand that a board interview is different than an executive interview. A board directors really want to understand every single detail of your life. So if a board director asks you a question about anything and 10 minutes go by and you're still talking, you're done. It's over. Um, and I've had, I've had candidates who have blown themselves up in interviews because you know, I try to guide them as best I can because they just, they want it so much, Archie. I, mean, I, I liken them to that, <laughs> to that person who's like in college trying to get their first investment banking job or in Wall Street, right? And they're just, they'll chew through glass for it. <laughs> and that's not how you want to show up in a board uh, interview. What Chuck is talking about here is finding the right balance. Yes, be enthusiastic and grateful about the opportunity, but don't go begging them for the position either. You want to present yourself as a peer and not someone they're doing a favor for. You don't want to be aloof, okay? Aloof is not where you want to be aloof, but you don't want to be the 21-year-old trying to get their first job at you know, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, where you just don't want to be that person, okay? So you got to find the, the middle ground because what boards will also tell you, and, it's, and it's, it's a tricky thing and it's hard to quantify, but they want to see gravitas and presence and stature. And when you're over-eager, it doesn't come across as having presence and gravitas. Mm. And I can tell you as a person who's trying to work with boards, and maybe I'm in a pitch situation with these boards, I have to tell myself, and I don't always get it right. Chuck, calm down. I know you want to work with this client, okay? But, like, don't oversell yourself. Right. Answer the questions they ask. Be engaging. But they're a peer. You know, you show up as a peer. That's, I have, I have literally, to this day, come to coach myself. That's fantastic. So I would give aspiring board directors the same, the same advice. Chuck also reminds his clients that not every candidate, no matter how desirable, is the right fit for every board. So seek boards where there is alignment. As much as joining the board of a large company might bring some prestige, you could have a greater impact at a smaller company. Remember, being a board director is about service. Well, one of the things I've always been frustrated by is when people ask the question, is 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 Archie board ready? Is is Maverick board ready, right? Is Sally board ready, right? I sometimes struggle to answer that question because what I would say is not everybody is ready to join the Microsoft board, okay? Mm. Or the Apple board, okay? There's a lot of different types of boards out there. There's obviously large cap boards like that. There's the mid cap boards. There's small cap boards. There's private boards. And so think about fit for purpose, and I've met, you know, many people who I would say, wow, I think they could really contribute a lot to a board, but it's probably not going to be a large cap board. 
Yeah. But I would tell you, I've talked to so many people who work, who join some of these smaller cap boards and have a fantastic experience. In some ways, they're, they're a good training ground for many people because, you know, for some of the larger company boards, they don't always necessarily need your knowledge. They will, they will love the voice you bring to the room. They want to hear what you think. They want the questions you ask. But if a company is trained on a market cap, I mean, they, they, they're, they're kind of, they know what they're doing, right? Yeah. Look, love to work with those boards. And, and I think they're, I think they do great work. And there are times where they really want somebody who's going to bring something, right? I mean, they do want those things, but I would say it's your ability to impact a larger board or larger company mm. is, is, is hard. I don't care who you are, right? But some of these smaller companies really need your help. You can really have an impact. You can really get an insight they need to go from here to here. What, what you don't want to have happen, and I'm hearing this term, unfortunately, more than I would like, is so-and-so is a one-issue director. Let's say it was bringing a person who's a supply chain expert. I'm using that as an example. So they have deep functional expertise. Don't feel that when you join that board that that's the only thing you should contribute to. You don't want to be a one-issue director. And I would say, given the complexities of supply chain in, in the world today, a really good supply chain person should be able to talk to a lot of things that's happening with the company. You should be able to understand technology. If you don't understand finance and you do supply chain, something is wrong. <laughs> right? Right. Um, I would even say the connection to marketing and sales and how that's going to drive you know, production. Like, you should be able to speak to a lot of different topics in a boardroom. So don't feel just because you have this depth of expertise somewhere that you can't contribute broadly. And I think CFOs, I think in some ways of the people that may have a functional expertise have many ways been ahead of the curves for many years because finance touches everything. But I would say a lot of these functions, HR, I think touches everything. I mean, you got people in your company, HR touches everything. If you're a technology or CIO or CTO, Pretty much in every company, our technology touches everything, right? So you can contribute more broadly than you may think you can. Fantastic. Thank you for that, Chuck. I want to dig a little bit more into uh, maybe outside of governance, into your leadership journey and lessons from, from your leadership journey. What is your superpower? How does that show up in your work? It's interesting. I thought about this question a little bit, and I, I, um, I think there's a, couple, so there's a couple things I found out about myself later in life. I wish I had known this earlier in life, but I, these are things I haven't found out until the last four or five years, which are, I care about people. And I used to think that was a weakness. Mm. And I've actually found that I had a client once, I have a client once who hired us and then we, we did this work for her and she gave the, the feedback to us. And the colleague took the, took the notes and asked, why did you hire Akon Zender? The response was, look, I know, a lot, I know all the search firms, I know all the firms. But I hired Aegon Zinner because what I needed done was really hard. And I know Chuck cares about me. Mm. Because I know he cares about me, I know he'll do whatever he can to get it done. And so that's been impactful outside the firm and inside the firm. People can feel that I care. Um, don't always get it right, but I, I care. Uh, and then I, I love connecting people. Even before I started doing this job, I used to meet this person and that person say, these two have to get to know each other. Mm. Um, and then my job now is I do that all day long, which is really cool, right? So I found something that I really enjoy and I get to you know, make a living at it. So those are a couple things, which I think in some ways gets to the care of people and 
how do you you know help people be the best best version of themselves? Yeah. How do you connect people? Like those are the things that I just get me intrinsically fired up. That's fantastic. I mean, I talk often about, you know, that superpower may not be that thing. There's not a lot of job openings. Uh, if you read the paper or open the paper in the one ads or the employment section saying, you know, I'm looking for somebody who cares about people. Um, but you usually find that there's a way to leverage that in your work and leverage that in a way to make you differentiated or exceptional in what it is you do. So leveraging connections is a big piece of that. You know, we talk about capability. We talk about connection. We talk about culture. We talk about confidence and wanted to make sure that, uh, that they heard you loud and clear that that, that connection piece, uh, as well as communication, um, is one that that's key out there. Which, which of those five C's is one that's a development area for you? If connection comes, comes natural, if you got one of those that, that you, uh, you have to work a little bit more on or have it as a development area, maybe some advice for, for aspiring leaders in that, in that area? On some level, you may appreciate this. Look, I, I suffer from imposter syndrome. Mm. Um, I would say the confidence part is real at times. My, the profession I'm in is a tricky profession because people are going to hire if they don't believe that you're confident in yourself. It just doesn't happen. So there, there is a base level of confidence there. Candidates aren't going to return my calls. They don't believe that I can actually legitimately help them get that opportunity. So there is a base level of confidence. But I will tell you, I sometimes feel like I have to fake it to make it. Um, because the imposter syndrome, I feel, is quite real. And I'm still, even all these many years later, I deal with it. Mm. I mean, I mentioned this to you, but I'm the first black partner in my firm, uh, in the history of our firm. And the firm has been wonderful. It's the best place I've ever been. It's, the firm has treated me exceptionally well throughout my career. But, you know, when you're, when you're the first of something, you know, there's, there's something there. I mean, it's great and it's exciting and it's a blessing. Um, but, you know, when you're, you look around and there's not a lot of folks like you, it's, you know, it's real, right? And yeah. one of the reasons why I've been such an advocate for board leadership is a lot of these client calls and I'm the only one, right, on the call, right, with these clients, right? So that confidence part is something that I'm constantly dealing with. Navigating professional culture can be tricky, but building confidence is all about small wins and having a trusted coach or mentor can help you along your journey. For Chuck, it was the more senior partners at his firm. So within my firm, there's I've had a bunch of big brothers in my firm um, who several of our you know, senior partners who either have left the firm or still at the firm have taking me under their wing throughout the years and been available to be a sounding board and, and guide. And um, one, there's one man in particular who I always use this example. Uh, I remember my first year, I sent an email inside my firm and he called me. He says, that email is not going to land well. Mm. And I was like, what are, you, what are you talking about? I just, I just gave the facts. And so you have to take a step back for a second. I had just come from JP Morgan, which is, you know, a firm where there's no fluff. Like, it's just... Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. <laughs> just facts. Facts. Get it out, right? It's like, it's just keep it moving, right? And in my firm, it's a different culture. Yes, we're fact-based, but you you have, you can't, the, the, the edges can't be as, 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 as hard, right? They need to be rounded a bit, right? And he's like, you, you gotta, that message you gave, the content is, is fine, but you have to, your delivery has to be a little bit different. 
and that was that was helpful guidance for me because mm. a lot of times when people are integrating into a new organization, they don't know these unwritten rules, right? And he was he was bringing to life some of the unwritten rules of the firm very early on for me. Hopefully, you figure those things out when you have people that can help accelerate that for you. It's, it's super helpful. So, so I've had some great some great big brothers in the firm. That's that's honestly been a key for me, and I still go to them, still go to them for advice. I even find myself with a lot of the board work I do, you know, I turned 50 this year, but by board standards, I'm still a baby. So yes, you are. Yes, you are. <laughs> so all the clients and candidates I deal with, or most of them are much older than I am. That's so why I have these interesting dynamics where I'm advising these 65 year old clients, but then sometimes also getting advice from them at the same time. And it's, it's kind of interesting to, I'm advising them, they're advising me. So I find a lot of times the clients have been great as far as advisors to me. So those are a couple of different ways. And then, you know, I always joke that in my house, there's only one CEO and it's not me. And so I also get a lot of advice <laughs> from, my, from, my, from my, my beautiful and brilliant wife, um, who's also great as well. And she's a small business owner. So I joke, I actually, I literally am married to a CEO um, and I I'm on her board. It's a board of two people. I'm on her board. And uh, I mean, I was telling people we had one argument about the business she runs. And I realized there's only one CEO, one me. <laughs> and I had to learn how to not be directive. I had to ask questions. And you want to get to the place where the CEO comes to you more than you go to them, right? That's I love and it. so even so through her and, and you know, her her business, it's actually helped me in my job, ironically. Good training begins at home. You got you got a lesson on governance and directorship at home of it's not your business to run. You're there to provide insights and advice, but it is not your call. That's exactly right. I learned that very quickly. We had, we had one argument, man. That was it. Only one. <laughs> a fast learner. I love it. To finish us off. I asked Chuck for one piece of advice he would give to the young aspiring leaders listening to this show. It turned out to be something you don't hear so much in this era of Zoom meetings and chat GPT. Well, one of the things we one of the things we're starting to advise our clients on, um, and, and I'm gonna say clients of individuals, not companies. So think of CEOs, think of board directors, CEOs, uh, C-suite executives, and maybe even a level down is a lot of your career is spent acquiring skills and these great experiences. And they're invaluable as you go up the ladder. And you should definitely do those things, whether it's supply chain, tech, finance, marketing, all those skills, but also do the work on yourself. And this is something we're really are telling people like, you know, do the work on yourself. So when I told you the example about like, you know, the superpower of like, I care about people, like I had to actually go through a process to learn that about myself. Mm. I, I didn't understand why people sometimes hired me. This is what gets into an imposter syndrome, right? Like, like why are people hiring me? Like, it's a bunch of different competitors. Why are they choosing to work with me as, a, you know, in and so I found out that they could feel that I really cared about them, their situation, how to help them. You know, maybe somebody else, maybe even had a bigger set of credentials than I did, but they said, okay, this, this guy gets us and who we are. There's a connection there, right? That was some of the work I did on me 
and I still have a lot to work, a lot of work to do on me, but I think people doing work on how they show up, how they can be the best version of themselves, right? When you think about great CEOs and you think about the employees, why do the employees follow that CEO? Mm. Is it because of their ability to articulate every line on the balance sheet? Or is it about how they show up and how they build followership, right? And how can you work on that and develop that? Because it's, it's all people at the end of the day. We're not quite at the point, maybe we'd be here sooner than we think that we're machines running the place. But until that day happens, it's people. That ability to connect with people, to build followership, to engage with people, to like communicate, to show up authentically, to be open and vulnerable in the right situations. Yeah. That's really valuable work in addition to all the skills that you're developing. So I would say that's something I would tell people to make sure they're doing that work. All right, here are the three key takeaways from my interview with Chuck. Number one, when looking for board opportunities, start by excelling at your current role. Keep your CEO in the loop and get to know as many board members as you can. Number two, don't be a one-issue director. Having knowledge outside of your area of expertise will only increase your value. And number three, Skills and accomplishments are great, but at the end of the day, it's all about people. So make sure you invest in your connections, both in and outside of work. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe to Training Camp for Leaders with Archie L. Jones Jr. So you don't miss out on new episodes. Also rate and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. I also offer a governance training camp. If you want to learn more, visit our website at nextgencoachnetwork.com. That's N-X-G-E-N coachnetwork.com. If you are a leader or aspiring to be one and want to connect with me, visit archieljonesjr.com. Thank you so much for joining us and I'll catch you all in the next episode. Training Camp for Leaders with Archie L. Jones Jr. is produced by Next Gen Coach Network and Human Group Media. If you want to learn more about our work at Next Gen Coach Network, visit nextgencoachnetwork.com. That's N-X-G-E-N coachnetwork.com.